call it. Welcome to episode 38 of Call of Friendo, the podcast where two friends watch a film decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donica Tiernan, watch 1985's Pritzi's Honor. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Please follow Call of Friendo podcast on Instagram, like the Facebook page, leave a review on iTunes or any or all of the above. Please send any questions or recommendations to callitfriendopodcast at gmail.com or send us a DM on Instagram, you piece of trash. So, how's it been for you? What kind of a week are you having? Uh, it's been a very strange week. It's a transitional week. I'm preparing to move back to the United Kingdom. After eight months in Italy, I'm saying goodbye to the sun. I'm ready to crawl into a cave. Yeah. But, I mean, you're, mm-hmm. <laughs> you strike me as the most unsentimental goodbyer in the history of goodbyers. I like to indulge in a bit of the old Irish goodbye. Is that that's a thing, right? That's not a racial yeah, slur. No, no, no. Or that's an a, ethnic yeah, yeah, slur yeah. or anything. Irish goodbye, as in just fuck off without saying anything. Fuck, just leaving. Yeah, 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 I love it. I think it's. I think it's good. Oh yeah, it yeah, yeah. It it occurred to me naturally. Uh, I think they say it. I think they call it that because the times I've utilized it most uh, enthusiastically is when I am just kettle fucked drunk. And I, like, I kind of realize it before it announces itself to the world. So you'd be in a, in a, in a bar somewhere and you're right. Yeah. You kind of yeah. going, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, my voice is a little behind my brain here. And then you just kind of like, you know, you just see into the future. It only happens. And thank God you do. So, so you kind of go, I need to get out of here right now before anybody tries <laughs> to get me. To- I've seen that happen to you multiple times now that you mention it. I recall of years gone by. What, me just you leaving? Just reaching a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of you reaching a point where your eyes suddenly widen and it was clear that <laughs> you like you're experiencing life on a different plane than other organisms. And you're just you fucking vanished. Jesus, I can't like. I, you just teleported yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's been so. It's been such a long time. I've no idea what it's like, but I just know that exact thing of I need to get out of here right now before anybody else says yeah. anything else to me right this second. Just fucking beeline like a ninja. Anyway, that's good. That's would you good. like to hear what I've been watching? I would like to hear what you've been watching. Please tell me. Well, I've been watching a number of things. I decided to rewatch School of Rock. Outstanding! Bizarrely. I love School of Rock. I know. It's very unusual for me to rewatch anything these days. Certainly, like I'm trying to just work my way through stuff I haven't seen before. So, this was, uh, I guess, out of respect for actor Kevin Clark, who played drummer Freddie Jones in the film. Oh, that's right. He and passed he was this recently week. killed in a cycling accident at age 32. Mm, that's right. In fact, after a bit of researching the child stars, it turns out perhaps expectedly that they've had pretty tough lives. Uh, there's Joey Gaydos, who played uh, guitarist Zach. He was arrested a couple of years ago for stealing a guitar. And I'm guessing he also had to overcome a bit of bullying for name reasons as well. What's his name and again? There's Rivka, Joey Gaydos. Oh, no. Of the famous Gaydos family who invented the first homosexual operating system. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Rivka Reyes, who played the bassist Katie, she's talked a lot about how difficult it was being sexualized by audiences at age 10 and how she became an alcoholic slash drug addict and uh, attempted suicide multiple times. Whoa, whoa, which it's one just, was she? She had, She only has about five lines in the film. She's the bassist. She's like Posh Spice, I think, is the nickname that Jack Black gives her. Oh, okay. I know who she... And she was being sexualized by adults, was she? Yeah, she was basically... At the time of filming, she was 10, and all the comments online were like, she's going to be hot when she's older. Oh, God. And she's, she's spoken uh, frequently I've... about how that was troublesome, and she had stalkers and the like, and... God, I feel like you're, you, I mean, you're, you're taking School of Rock and turning it into capturing the fucking Freedmans, man. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's, it's an unfortunate fact of Hollywood. It's like a side effect. That's what um, Paul Thomas this Anderson's is, this is, this uh, next is, film is 100% is about. like, oh yeah? 
Yeah, it's about a, ch- a child star in the 70s who then gets brought, uh, ushered into the, I don't know, realm of the Polanskis, let's say. Yeah, so uh, this was the darkest viewing of School of Rock that, <laughs> that I've had, certainly. I'd say the film holds up pretty well considering it's 18 years old. Every single choice that Jack Black makes in his line delivery and mannerisms is so memorable. Yeah, it's fantastic. Think, you know, I, f- I find myself I find myself not only able to quote the film, but also to like match exactly everything he does with his with his hands and face. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. that I was sitting there doing like karaoke school of rock. Not at all. Not at all. I was watching it like a normal person. My favorite line um, in it is when the Asian kid tells him he is fat and he has body odor. I think that's very funny. You're fat and you have body odor. <laughs> You're tacky, and the uh, the the little uh, uh, fashion conscious boy. You're tacky, and I hate you. <laughs> yeah, that's quite funny too. It's, yeah, or, he's quality. Or when Jack Black says that uh, he has um, he has touched all their children is a good bit too. But it, <laughs> but it's mostly just his pr- his presence me. just being yeah, crazy. It's just like Jack yeah. Jack Black the film. I love Jack Black the uh, film. Oh yeah, something else has struck me this time, which because. Uh, uh, as I say, it's been a lot. Well, it's been a long, long time since I last saw it. But he's not that good at playing the guitar. Jack Black. <laughs> I'm gonna put that out there. Yeah, he's not actually that good at playing the guitar. He's not too bad sometimes, but some of his playing is is a little bit ropey. I I hadn't realized, but it doesn't matter at all because it's Jack Black. He sells everything with passion. He's a passionate man. Yeah. Has he ever been in anything where he was required to be less Jack Black? I've heard that film Bernie, he's a bit he, uh, more subtle, but... He he plays Sean Penn's brother in Dead Man Walking. Oh, I don't... That's, I have not seen that. It's <laughs> a pretty... It's a pretty quiet performance. He's not like... He's, he's less he's not Jack around. Black as the uh, cameraman, I'm going to say, in The Cable Guy. Mm. With uh, School of Rock, I hadn't seen it for a long time. So, as I say, the passing of time hit me. Because I'm more or less the same age as Joan Cusack in the film. How disturbing is that? Yeah, it's a little bit. I'm, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm older than Jack Black by about five years. I'm a, approximately Joan Cusack's age. And she is like the boring old lady. Um, not at I the end. only dream of... She's, yeah, not at the end. She's, and she's, she's she, about to get... Yeah, yeah, she's getting a bit of D from the, fu- she's from the she's future... She's getting fired in, that guy. From the future DA of Texas. Yeah, absolutely. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's a lawyer, so he's actually a DA. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy who's uh, he, I think he's his character's called Spider. Yeah, he's great. He's he wears that strange shirt that's just shoulders, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and then he has a he does he he does that great move where he kind of uh, he moves his hips around when he's playing the guitar. Yeah, the- it's sexual chocolate. I think I, I like I give the uh, Jack Black or whoever came up with the music extra points for writing like the perfect douchey song for the douchey band. Moving on to the next, or do you want to do one? Why well, about we do one about? Let's I'll hit you about. up with one. Okay, I'll hit you up with one. Go, so you I go. I watched it this way. A United Kingdom. Have you ever heard of this film? No. So it's a uh, twenty six. Heard of the place. Well, there you go. It was a timely release by Emma Asante. It's a biographical romantic drama film based on the true story of um, the heir apparent to the throne of what was then uh, Bashwanaland, later Botswana, a guy called Saretsa Kama who went to London and fell in love with a lady called Ruth Williams Kama. Uh, they're both respectively played by David Oyelowo and Rosamund Pike. It's just like, it's very sort of, classic straight-laced sort of uh, colonial romance but it's interesting because uh, like it, it's the sort of thing that'll you'll be watching it and you'll be going well there's n- there's no way this is true and then you look it up and it, it is it's all very very true and it is like interesting it, like because it, the british people nor even the politicians are almost not the bad guys in it it's the policy of colonialism because there's a controversy about them being together because they border uh, south africa to the uh, north and South Africa will not have uh, diplomatic relations to, to them on account of the mixed race royal family or whatever um, but yeah really true interesting fascinating story he had then rejected his throne and got democratically uh, elected like was the president for something like 14 years and then I found out that 
it, it led me down a rabbit hole into learning about Botswana and uh, apparently it's like doing really well, which is weird because I associated with AIDS generally in my head, but apparently like it's of all the countries in sub-Saharan Africa, it's easily doing the best. Made me want to go there. I've never been to Africa, but yeah, I quite enjoy that, except they did this goofy thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's time for people to let the spinning newspaper montage go. Never. No, no, no. I think it's it's time to put it out to pasture. It just wasn't great. But a yellow was great. Rosamund Pike is great. The direction is great. Whenever it's in Africa, it's super good. And there's good colonial villain characters and everything. I really liked it. When is this from? Uh, 2016. And actually, it would have been timely because it's got a lot of Brexity themes in it. Does it have a scene of children playing in a battle of the bands? No. Pass. <laughs> All right. Tennis ball me, me another one. Okay, well, my this is this one is a little bit unorthodox, but I feel it warrants a mention. Uh, I watched uh, the first episode of a YouTube series. <laughs> no, I don't mean a YouTube TV series. I mean, literally some guy's YouTube video series. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm mentioning this because I rarely can sit through a full YouTube video. Yeah, yeah, I'm in that I camp. I find myself, yeah, like, I just can't be fucked. I'm like, I'm going to flick through this. I'll mm. see if there's anything interesting, et cetera, et cetera. They struggle to hold my attention. However, one video had me absolutely glued to the screen, and that was the first episode of a new series by GeoWizard. Are you familiar with this channel? No, I am not. He's a guy called Tom from Birmingham who usually posts uh, videos of himself playing the GeoGuessr game where you need to identify where you are in the world from Google Maps, which is fun. Uh, but he's also done a few travel series. He did videos of him and his mate Greg attempting to cross both Wales and Norway in a straight line. On these trips, they can only deviate from their straight line by a maximum of 20 meters, meaning that they need to cross uh, lakes, rivers, roads, train lines, private property. This actually and sounds this brilliant time, fun. It's quality. So this time around, they decided to cross Scotland. And the reason it's so good is because the narrative building on these videos is exceptional. And I found myself so anxious just due to the tension they created in having to enter a factory, the grounds of a factory. Oh, wow. I, like, I really want to watch I, I, this. It I, sounds the, brilliant. The tension, was, the tension was insane. I almost had to switch it off because I was so nervous, which is so stupid. Um, so only the first episode is out so far. They're putting out a new episode every Sunday. And How I long is the episode? Checking it out. It's pr- about 30 minutes or something. It's, this is not a small channel by any means. I'm going to watch this tonight. Views and his, his Patreon is making serious bank. Wow, that and sounds from brilliant. His, his ability to tell a story through video, I would say it's entirely justified. So it's called Geo Wizard, and the series is called Attempting to Cross Scotland in a Completely Straight Line. Uh, this sounds great. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm in. And uh, I, I think they're, the episode's come yeah, every Sunday, so it's um, exciting. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to check that out. I rewatched, I rewatched Batman Begins. There, for, oh, there's Batman, <laughs> wait, give it its proper title, Batman Begins. Batman Vegans, yeah, Batman Vegans. I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but at one point I would have watched it probably a lot. The Nolan films, of course, have their po-faced reputation, but let me just say this. I invite anybody to, now that the smoke has cleared and he's off doing other things, uh, rewatch Batman Begins. It is, I mean, it's a whole lot of fun. Like, it, like just... The acting is not there's there's no Josh Whedon quippy dialogue or anything like that. The acting is serious, but it's fun. It's quite heightened and like as well. It's done very much like a Batman comic, and I know it's fucking based on Batman comics, but I mean, like it, it, it's a world away from all the Tim Burton shite. I recall like Jim Gordon's introduction. You watch that. Just even if you just watch that one scene where he's in the the car with his corrupt partner and his partner saying uh you know the guys won't trust you unless you take a bribe and he goes well in a town this bent who's there to rat to and it's just like instantly there we are that's who that character is that's who that character is and that happens throughout rachel dawes does not speak in anything but like metaphors and similes and just very poetic pointed dialogue yeah, but it's not who you are on the inside, Bruce. It's what you do that defines you. And it's like, oh, nobody talks like that. But it's a lot of fun. 
And particularly considering how much the Marvel films went in a certain direction with uh, their finales, Death from Above, as in the finale of Batman Begins is terrific. With the, the trench. train going flying into building, yeah. Oh, it's it's fantastic. Just real grounded, and it just Batman versus Ra's al Ghul, and then people hallucinating on the street. It's just tremendous crack. I really loved it, um, and I'm looking forward to watching The Dark Knight sometime again soon. Uh, in preparation for my return to Scotland tomorrow after eight months in Italy, I decided to watch something truly Scottish to ready myself. And that's the one-hour BBC documentary, Real Kashmir FC. It follows former Aberdeen and Rangers footballer Davy Robertson as he manages a football team in the Indian I-League. As they state throughout the documentary, Kashmir is the most militarized area in the world and training sessions and matches are postponed and interrupted due to bombings and mass killings. It's pretty gnarly stuff, but the best part is that Robertson is a classic old-school Scottish psycho. And the documentary is famed for having more profanities per minute than the sweariest of Quentin Tarantino films, as Robertson calls literally everyone he meets in India a cunt, one by one. Well, I mean, you you, you lost me at the first part, but then when you dropped it into Kashmir, I was like, okay, actually Kashmir, yeah? That's not a bad selling point. That is... That is yeah, so whether you like football or not, it's a fascinating insight into Kashmir, yeah. a place which has been described as, as heaven on earth. As heaven and on it earth. Is, it mm-hmm, is absolutely beautiful. Like, well, despite all the, the phys- physical beauty, yeah, there's a, unfortunately, there's a, a massive raging war. That, yeah, it's been going on for about 50 beautiful. years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm. it's extreme. It, it's, it's just, it's a part of the world that you. I mean, me personally, I've never really seen it. I think I don't think I'd seen anything of Kashmir before. I watched Anthony so, uh, Bourdain go around there in an episode of his thing oh, all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I watched this documentary on BBC iPlayer. It's on there for the next month. Bearing in mind, I'm not in the UK at the moment. Uh, thankfully, iPlayer works great with a VPN. Mm. And also there's a follow-up called Return to Real Kashmir, which will be on iPlayer again from next Tuesday. Okay, Folks, I'm giving you, letting you know where to find these things. You've you know? given me two things that I'll definitely seek and check out so far. Well, I'm so grateful. Did you, as uh, as promised, catch up with Mayor of Easttown? I did not. I lied. Oh, you son of a bitch. So uh, you can, please don't tell me anything about that. But the fact that you've told me it is basically Happy Valley means... I'm no, I you I to watch you, it. I don't think you'll you'll I don't think you'll guess the plot from that. I'm just saying. But is that, there is there more of a mystery to it? Yes, yes, because there's no mystery to Happy Valley. No, because it's more Fargo-y in that we already know who the baddies are and yeah, we know yeah. what's going on. No, um, the, like Mervy's Town, there's so much to like in it. Like Kate Winslet, parti- like particularly, she's fantastic. And also there's all that extra HBO money that they just didn't have on something like Happy Valley. So it looks great. Great and grim. The beats, it following the general beats of Happy Valley, um, like, did bug me a bit, particularly because I was scouring online and there's nowhere except people like me on, on Reddit acknowledging the fact that there's a lot of similar beats. But, I mean, it really captured the public imagination, and it is it is worth a watch. It's a pity that you hadn't watched it, because there was one particular thing in the plot that bugged me. Is that a massive spoiler, or is it a No, you'd, you'd need to watch it to, to get what I'm talking oh, okay. about. Uh, there's just uh, something in the plotting that does it, it just doesn't hang together, and, and it feels like that they... Stra- does it ruin the show for you? Uh, no, not co- no, no, no. The show is still well worth watching, but it just there are two or three parts in it that it would have been fun to discuss with you because I just feel like mm, another draft there, guys. Maybe just that, but like it's the kind of thing that the rest of the show is so good that it makes you wonder. Well, why didn't they? How how did that not happen? You know the kind of stuff that like let's say it was like there's two or three scenes where you you know you're facing the same sort of problems you might run into in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, for instance. You know? Just going, well, why did they do it like that? I don't get it. But anyway. Overall, much, much better than uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I would I have not thought about Falcon and Winter Soldier until you just mentioned it. 
There you go. It's the first time I've thought about it since I finished watching it. Um, well, because it was awful. It was awful. Yes, and and highly forget- forgettable. But uh, mark my words, I would, I'd be fairly certain there'll be a second season of this of um, Mare of mm. Town. Um, the setup is all there for it. Uh, yeah. The only other thing I watched because I've been, you know, drastically trying to self-improve over the week and um, just being knackered on account of it. The only other thing I managed to watch is uh, was early this morning, and it's directly related to what we're going to be talking about this week. So, um, yeah, you want to lead yeah, us yeah, in? I have one. I've got no. I've got one more. Oh, item. you got one more. Go on. I, I, I watched more than you this week, which is it's how you know I'm basically on holiday. Yeah, yeah, and I. Uh, I didn't manage to watch any other John Huston films because I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that. I just didn't want to. <laughs> uh, let's leave it. Let's get into that in a few minutes. All right. Yeah. So uh, the other, I also decided to check out something you enjoyed a lot, which is the ITV miniseries from earlier this year, The Pembrokeshire Murders. Oh, yeah. You like it? And uh, yeah, I uh, I'll say. So I was vaguely aware of the case of Welsh serial killer John Cooper, mainly due to the manner in which the police ID'd him from an appearance on the classic darts-based TV game show Bullseye. Uh, It stars Luke Evans and Keith Allen as the lead detective and killer, respectively, as you've mentioned previously. It takes an interesting approach to things because there's no great mystery. It's a cold case show, but the police are very confident that they have their man from the start. They just need to get enough DNA evidence to prove his guilt in a court of law. That's the only downside for me. I like a bit more revealing, shocking evidence uh, of something like mm. Unforgotten or Save Me. Uh, but it's worth watching for the acting performances alone, I would say. Keith Allen I wasn't is aware of Luke enough. Evans before. What? Uh, he is a... I said I wasn't aware of Luke Evans before. Really? Before uh, I don't this? Think I'd, yeah, don't think I'd really seen him in anything. I couldn't place him in anything, but he is like a brick shit house. Yeah. He is a he's a big man. I would not want to mess with him. I think Keith Allen has aged into a really interesting character actor, and he is extremely believable as a serial killer. Yeah, he uh, is. I'd say it's worth a watch because it's only three episodes. But I think the fact that it's only three episodes somehow detracts from but what it's trying to do is kind of unlike I guess it's very similar to this. It's part of a big series of ITV dramatizations of of real murder cases. Is it? Yeah, there's like 13 of them. They did one uh, about Fred West, which had Dominic West in it as Fred West, rather confusingly. Dominic West as Fred West. I would not have called that casting. Yeah, back in 2011. He was really good in it, actually. It's called uh, Appropriate Adult. Wow, and they did one about Harold Shipman and uh, just all these like murder, famous murder cases in the UK. Wow, I, I would, um, I would like to track some of those down. It's just my cup of tea because I really enjoyed the Pembrokeshire mur- murders. I, I like, yeah, I, I got quite into it. I just, it. I want, I want more revelation of mystery, which I think is probably easier with something fictional. Because mm. if a true story, you're, you're kind of bound by the truth well, and I, how interesting it, the story is or isn't. I, I when we talked when I talked about it previously, I tied it in a little bit to the wire, and I felt like that's the, the I got a sim and having recently rewatched a series of the wire, I, like I got the same sort of buzz out of the out of it. I just I, <laughs> I like watching people who are good at their jobs do their jobs like that. <laughs> I'm I'm yeah, into I, that. I, 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 I mean, like I the can West understand Wing. Understand that they're like thirty minutes into the first episode of the Pembrokeshire Murders. They get a team together and they're off site in a, a very similar to the wire, just working the case. Mm. <clears throat> and um, yeah, they're all competent. They all work together. They're they're not in conflict with each other. They're just like a, like a well oiled team that does a job over a series of years. I mean, this goes on for years, but that time is extremely condensed. Yeah, to fit into three episodes. Indeed, yeah. I'll, I well, seeing as you didn't uh, watch anything else of uh, Huston, I'll uh, just I'll just tee us up, just to say that, like I just had to, after having watched this. So I watched the Man Who Would Be King, which I'm gonna tell you, I really, really, really recommend you watch it because I really enjoyed it. I I thought it was I'm, abso- I'm absolutely sure fantastic. I've, I feel like I've seen it when I was younger. 
I mean, it's a. I mean, it, I'm aware of who it is. I know it's Sean Connery and Michael Caine. It's a bank holiday weekend matinee Roger kind of a film. Kipling adaptation yeah. or something. No? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Two boys go off uh, up into uh, the Hindu Kush to um, try and train a warlord so that they can take over the kingdom and loot it completely. Um, it's like it's just and they end up managing a football team. <laughs> well, it's just colonialism through the microcosm of Sean Connery and Michael Caine's kind of uh, oh they're 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 masons as well uh, they're con oh, nice. and they're con men and it's just it, that's a fun microcosm to be in you know it's like just got a real sense of adventure to it it was filmed a lot on like location it's the sort of th- it's it's interesting as well because it's just the sort of thing that I mean don't you don't even approach a studio with an idea like this anymore you know what i mean it's just like any goodwill that there ever was for this kind of crack has long since evaporated but it's it's great fun there's a scene where michael kane tosses a guy out of a train for eating a watermelon and calls him babu couldn't do that these days either but uh, i really really enjoyed it um, and i'm glad i watched it because i can add that to the list of i think maybe six john huston films which i really enjoy and put it up against the one which i really fucking didn't so i feel like you're I, i'm gonna say you're a houston file as well because uh, i guess i feel like it was maybe because of the irish connection is that what it is or is it just a film thing when did um, you when were you first aware of john houston i was first aware of him uh, having watched the maltese falcon and I knew of it to be a classic and like his name rang true to me. So I probably just, as I rec- like, I, yeah, I, I just think I read up a bit about him and I thought, oh God, this, mm. this guy was a bit of a wild card. He's a bit of a re- renaissance man. So I am, mo- I am probably more attached to the, to the idea of him than actually uh, any of his movies. But then, well, initially this would have been the case, but then I realized I had seen a couple of more of his films and really enjoyed those too. And they, like I have to say, yeah, yeah, Pritzi's Honor would probably end the streak of films I've enjoyed uh, directed by John Huston. But up until this point, yeah, I really, really did enjoy all of them. And there's some, there, uh, and I also I read a book a few years back called Five Came Back. They made a Netflix documentary about it as well about uh, Hollywood directors oh, that yeah. made um, yeah, that's films during World War Two and. I realized then that one of John Huston's films I had also seen as a DVD extra on The Master, one called Let There Be Light, about uh, the aftermath of a of a battle in uh, the Pacific. And it was one that was so, mm. so gritty and so tough to take, particularly during the time of war, that the US government actually didn't release it until 1980 because it really detailed um, post-traumatic stress. And actually, the images in this the reason it's on the DVD extras of the master is the images in it first inspired um, Freddie's character, Joaquin Phoenix's character um, uh, oh, yeah. from the master, like just the broken look in some of these soldiers. So I thought that was interesting. That tied it tied in another connection. I didn't know John uh, Houston did that. So yeah, just generally quite an interesting guy. And yeah, he did. He um, eventually just didn't want to live in America anymore and repatriated himself to Ireland was good friends with um, Hemingway and uh, Orson Welles, actually starred in Orson Welles's uh, recently released on um, Netflix's his final film, his uh, unfinished film. Yeah, he's just an interesting guy full of Hollywood lore. And also, cons- consequently, if you just look at his marital record, probably like Hemingway and seemingly like Welles also was also probably a bit of a cunt, um, mm. you know. I enjoyed some of the details from his biography. He dropped out of high school in L.A. to become a professional boxer. And by age 15, he was the top-ranking amateur lightweight in California. Mm. And uh, he ended his brief boxing career after suffering a broken nose. And then when he was 27, he was working as a writer in Hollywood. His uh, blossoming career suddenly ended after a car he was driving struck and killed actress Tosca Rillian. And uh, there's a rumor that actor Clark Gable was responsible for the hit and run, but the MGM manager, uh, Eddie Mannix, paid Houston to take the blame. Fucking Hollywood, right? And he ended up moving to London and Paris and living as a drifter. Yeah, and it just made him all the more interesting. And that's where he picked up, uh, uh, that's where he uh, learned um, painting. And... 
I mean, I've I've heard it uh, said in a few different interviews with him. Like, yeah, and actually, also, I think I have a book back in Ireland, one of those uh, Houston on uh, Houston, you know, things with just a series of interviews with him. But that uh, his painting career influenced his filmmaking massively, and if nothing else, in Pritzi's honor, you can really, really see that. Yeah, I mean, it's such a highly composed film as are most of his like that you'd ever care to watch except maybe the documentaries i've only seen one of the documentaries but like the okay so the houston films i've seen which the ones i i really enjoyed would be the maltese falcon treasure of sierra madre fat city the man who would be king the dead and uh, asphalt jungle which are all very oh i've even left out one here the african queen is another one i've seen if like it, honestly, if there's anyone on the Houston list that I have in front of me here that I would really recommend to you, it's Fat City. Fat City is a terrific film. I highly recommend. I have that. Fat City ready to go. I just decided I'd rather watch. You couldn't bring yourself to watch it. Walking in a straight line. I just couldn't bring myself to watch it. Well, look, you can get I'm onto sure the. Great, but I was just I was like, oh come on. You can get onto Houston, the cast in we the have middle. A problem. You can get onto the cast in a minute, but before you do. What I would just like to say is, yeah, like I said, I've been busy doing loads of stuff these weeks. So I had a quite a bit of resentment for you. <laughs> Having given a little chunk of my free time. Uh, oh, to... well, because I chose the film. Yeah. Or is this just general resentment? Yeah, no, no, no. Because you chose the film. I, I just... I, th- I think that's fair. That's fair. I mean... But I mean, at least was... we're on the same page. It is a tooth grinder of a fucking movie. I had to, uh, I think the problem was I've seen too many uh, best picture nominees. <laughs> That's what I realized. I've watched far too many of them. I, I could have gone for something older, probably. I'm sure if I'd gone back to the 60s and 70s, I could have come up with something better than Pritzi's Honor. But Pritzi's Honor has always stood out to me as like, it's a film that's always been mentioned. I was like, yeah, it's mm. be- it, was nom- it was nominated for eight Oscars. Winning yeah. one. I mean, that's fucking mad. It is mad. That's it mad. is mad. Eight Oscars. It will actually give us something interesting to talk about because this is a fucking mental case of a movie in so many ways. Like I mentioned one before, the... it's so well, like it's so well composed that you you mm. you're you're kind of like just really really, and it's a cliche to say, but you could put any almost any frame on your wall so well composed. But then. What's happening with everything else, particularly, I'll say, with the script and the cast? What's happening? The first thing I wrote down is Pretty's Honor harks back to a time when WAP was an ethnic slur rather than a declaration of vaginal moistness. <laughs> yeah, I, so are you familiar at all with... I didn't. I had no idea. First, that it was based on a novel or that it was the first of four novels by Richard Condon. Although this was the only one that was ever adapted to the screen, which again is mad, if thinking about the fact that this was a, this a grand Oscar-nominated film that also made money, it, it only grossed twenty-six million from a sixty-million-dollar budget, but you know it made money. It was well received by critics. Friend of the show Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars. Yes, he did. We can call anyone a friend of a show if they're dead, right? Whether they can be friend, friend of the show. I mean, yeah, I feel bad we're going to give friend of the show uh, John Huston's film a poor review here. But, uh... Yeah, exactly. Close, close friend of the show, John Huston. God, this was a tough old slog, though, wasn't it? Uh, I just w- let, me, let me tell you one more thing about uh, the awards. So the film won four Golden Globes. <laughs> Jack Nicholson won Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy. Beating out a young man named Michael J. Fox for a little film called Back to the Future. I mean... How about that? Well, the Hollywood Foreign Press Organization, or whatever they're called, can generally suck a dick. But, like, I mean, what are you, what are you talking about there, you know? What's... <sighs> Just leave it. I don't know. Yeah, I saw all the nominations. I, I saw... Um, a Barbie interview, uh, not of the doll, uh, like a, you know, barbed, let's say, interview with Angelica Houston and this, uh, her saying, yeah, I overheard a bunch of people saying that, oh, she's yeah. the daughter's, she's the director's daughter. On the film, she cetera, can't act. And I won an Oscar. And it's like, well, I'm surprised you won an Oscar because you're terrible in this. And so is everyone. What, what's Jack Nicholson doing? What's he doing? He's, so... 
We've got we got Jack Nicholson as Charlie Partana. Nicholson was in his late forties at the time of filming, and reputedly gained twenty pounds for the role, which shows when he gets his kit off at points during the film, he's got some nice boobies. Nicholson was drawn to the role due to the opportunity to be directed by Houston, who he'd famously appeared alongside in Chinatown, in Chinatown an yeah. actual good film. Mm-hmm. Of course, Nicholson had long been in an on-off relationship with Houston's daughter Angelica. And he did a bunch of research, apparently, to nail the Brooklyn Mafia accent, which I would say comes off as a massive parody for most of the time. Also, the character is supposed to be dumb, which... Doesn't come across. It is a problem, I think. Mm. It's just... It's a very strange character. I, I imagine it's more fleshed out in the novel. I hope. That certainly doesn't come across. Um, it's strange because the film begins with this, like, uh, uh, basically his mother seeming to have died and my boss says he'll adopt him and you see this little clip of him getting some knuckle dusters for Christmas. And you kind of think, ah, oh, this, com- oh this is the kind of comedy that uh, they made before Judd Apatow, maybe. You're getting that sort of feeling. But then, unless you and I are just, I don't know, just far too much from a different generation to get this but it seems Irony like any poisoned <laughs> it just seems like all the comedy evaporates it's like it's it's got this tone i know you want to we will do the cast it's got this tone that's suggesting gags but they never arrive which g- well, gives I you a weird kind of cognitive the, dissonance i don't know it's it's going for like a darkly comic tone of the, the a slightly more modern a slightly more modern uh film would be although it's from the mid 90s would be something like fargo mm. I feel like it's it's going a bit for that kind of tone, but it's uh, it's not the Coen Brothers. Do you think? <laughs> no, I I don't I don't think it's quite quite. I know. Obviously, Houston is a great. Let's let's point this out. Houston was dying of emphysema while filming this. Yeah, well, he I had mean, oxygen. His, <laughs> he was on oxygen. His final film is excellent. Wow. Maybe they actually turned on the oxygen canisters for that one. But no, I mean, his, like, as I mentioned before, he shoots this brilliantly, but there's just, so like, and there would have been ways to kind of make this work. Like, are we doing this now or we leave this till the end or what? Well, I'll, go, I'll just fire through the rest of the cast. Yeah, do it, do it, do it. And we'll so talk we, about we've got... Kathleen Turner plays Irene Walker. Kathleen Turner won the role of Irene, the lady hitter. Turner was a hot property in the 80s, gaining an Oscar nomination for Peggy Sue Got Married. She even went on to voice Jessica Rabbit in the classic Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Her career unfortunately declined as she gained a reputation as a diva. In 2018, she commented on her reputation, stating the difficult thing was pure gender crap. If a man comes on set and says, here's how I see this being done, people go, he's decisive. If a woman does it, they say, oh, fuck, there she goes. There's probably a lot of truth to that, but I just think, in general, if you're an actor or actress, I kind of feel like it's down to the director. I think her career might have hit the rocks a little bit because she played Chandler Bing's dad and... They, everybody noticed, oh, yeah, Kathleen Turner fits quite well in a drag queen's shoes, actually, now that you mention it. And I don't know, maybe they, maybe uh, maybe prejudiced, bigoted uh, society found it difficult to readjust to her as a sexual being after having seen mm-hmm. her as Mr. Bing. We have uh, Angelica Houston as May Rose Pritzi. Angelica Houston is the daughter of John Houston, an Italian-American ballet dancer, Enrica Soma who looks extremely similar to her daughter. Uh, When Angelica was 17, her mother was killed in a car crash in France. Uh, The Houston family tree is a bit of a mess due to everyone shagging a huge number of people in and out of wedlock and relationships. Angelica Houston has famously been in a number of relationships with older men, including Jack Nicholson which does feel like a bit of a case of daddy issues. Uh, what with her father constantly being away making films while she was schooled in Ireland. Good luck to her, I say. But the only, the only reason I bring this up is because previously last week we were talking about the Red Graves and the Richardsons. Mm. I just think the concept of an acting dynasty raises questions of like, you know, because you, you're, I, I wanted to ask you this question. You're a father. Mm. Would you want 
would you want your daughter to go into the arts of like acting or stand-up comedy or something like is that something you would want for your daughter i'm not gonna say no but i do feel like i would have and i I wouldn't do the whole no there's no future in it but i do feel like i don't know i would have enough of an eye for horseshit that i unless i genuinely recognized her to be a very talented i would i would discourage it like yeah strongly i just think like i can understand a little bit if it's if there's if the origin is like, well, my parents did it, so I should do it too. But mm. I just feel like it's born out of a type of dysfunction, the need to get in front of people and be, love me, mm. comes from like a, a place where... Well, certainly you the... May have failed as a parent. <laughs> well, certainly like one of the types of actors is definitely that like, you know, the, like, Without yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think yeah. I think I think that is a good point to mm. mention that obviously there are different types of actors. I grade them into three categories. I feel I've said it here on mm. on the show before. No, I, I t- say it again because I don't remember. Okay, well, so first of all, you've got people that don't really need to act; they're just themselves and they're good enough. Jack Black, Steve McQueen, mm. these are your people. Um, actually, and then the second category, you can kind of, well, no, yeah, the second category is. People who are, you know, they're reasonable enough actors, but they're what they're into is they're into being an actor as opposed to acting. You get my? They've really drank the Kool Aid. Who's um, an example of this? Ah, uh, there's loads of them. I can't think of one at the moment. Um, the more superficial end of the stick. Let's. I could even find one on this uh, here. I'm sure Angelica Houston <laughs> on is this one. Film. Yeah, I'm, Angelica Houston. Yeah. I'm sure Angelica Houston <laughs> yeah. is one of these people. I'm sure uh, I'm sure Kathleen Turner is one of these people quite frankly just people who really really take that, uh, that profession and just love talking oh, they're, about they're it they're like yeah 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 they're, they're like uh, I follow the craft sure yeah 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 and then there are a small few number of people that are so good at acting that they're insane um, and who would you like and I would put even put people in that camp who I don't necessarily they seem like arseholes but for example I think I think Sean Penn is a really good actor but I think he's so good at acting <laughs> yeah. that he's lost his mind. He's just a crazy person. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's, you, that's fair. I think you can kind of see that of um, Michael Fassbender as well. I think you can kind of mm. see that, uh, certainly of Daniel Day-Lewis. The man's insane. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the first person that came to mind for me. I was just thinking of him in uh, uh, Phantom Thread. Mm. I don't know. There's just something something about that performance kind of scares me the most. <laughs> well, it scared Daniel Day Lewis enough for him to quit acting over it as well. I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah. I, like I, I get it. It's like, it, I, you know, what the the best case in point I, I, I f- that I could give for the third category of actors is watch. Joaquin Phoenix accepting his Oscar oh, for God. Joker. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, like yeah, yeah. there, there, there. It's worrying. Well, yeah, there are showboating speeches of "we can do better," and you're just like, "Oh, you're an actor. Shut your fucking mouth." And then there's Joaquin Phoenix going on about everyone being vegan, and you're like, "Man, you're in, you're nuts." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's mental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's you know, so anyway. That's this the is price uh, you pay. Talking about talking about Angelica Houston here. Just sorry for that mm. quick diversion. She was paid scale for her role in Pritzi's Honor, which was around $14,000. And when she tried to negotiate for more, she was told in no uncertain terms that no one wanted her in the film. And she was only there because of her boyfriend and her father's involvement. Of course, she went on to win the Oscar, a surprise victory beating out, among others, Oprah Winfrey for The Color Purple. Mm. We have uh, Robert Loja playing Eduardo Pritzi. This role came a couple of years after Loja played Frank in Scarface, Tony Montana's mentor. Loja also went on to appear in the Tim and Eric movie and also had uh, a posthumous cameo in Independence Day Resurgence. I have not seen Independence Day Resurgence, have you? Neither have I, no. no. I don't think I'll ever see we it. We have. The, but then neither. again, I, 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 didn't think I, I didn't think I'd ever see Pritzi's Honor, so never <laughs> fucking say never. Oh, sequels. Hmm. Independence Day. Oh, no! So we've got William Hickey as Don Carrado Pritzi. William Hickey, who played the almost impossibly old-looking Don Pritzi, was in his mid-50s during filming. His final role before succumbing to emphysema was as the father of Nathan Lane and Lee Evans in 1997's Mouse Hunt. (laughs) 
just uh, linking this guy to Lee Evans is just uh, seemed so strange to me. So. When you <laughs> when you're naming out the cast and the films, just in general, when you just suddenly remind me of how many films there are and what kind of films exist out there that's a, just gets a laugh <laughs> yeah. out of me like mouse hunt yeah because you yeah because yeah you have to put this person into your into your three tier system of actors yeah yeah, yeah. Like, who is william hickey i think william hickey was just some random guy who turns up yeah yeah lee, he's got he's got a, lee, yeah. lee evans is certainly just lee evans i think it's fair to say lee evans is lee evans mm. and nathan lane probably nathan lane Anyway, let's not get into mouse hunt. So uh, I've got I've got two two more notable let's mentions not. in the cast. Two more notable mentions in the cast, and these are these are quality. All right, uh, did did you notice who played Peaches Altamont, the black maid? I did. It's CCH Pounder yeah. from the, from wow. the Shield. That's insane, yeah. Claudette from the Shield. Yeah. I, uh, the first time I saw it, she looked normal. I just thought, like, okay, there's a black maid. I noticed the I jaw immediately. C- I saw it with CCH Pounder, yeah. and then I went back and I went like, that's her head. Yeah. Her same head from when she's like 50 years old is on the body of a young person. Yeah. It's so strange. And I think the other person I need to mention is uh, the late, great Lawrence Tierney, legend. The legend himself who played Lieutenant Hanley. He's barely in the film at all, but Lawrence Tierney, Lawrence Tierney is probably best known as Joe Cabot in Reservoir Dogs. Uh, I recommend listening to the stories that Michael Madsen and uh, Chris Pan tell about him on the, on the Reservoir Dogs DVD extras, which you can find on YouTube. Because Ooh. he was he was one hundred percent in the insane category. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm um, interested to hear that. So yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll 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 stick that link in the show notes. Do please. It's, it's really it's really really funny. It's just because the actors are just all doing the kind of talking heads, mm. um, telling stories about about Tierney, and Tierney was he was getting towards the end of his life, and he just did not give a fuck. I mean, you do get and that was, in his performance in Dogs, even. But uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some of those uh, behind-the-scenes stories. Okay, shall we fire into the plot? It, do your best, man. So the film starts with two brief intro scenes showing, first, Charlie Portana as a baby while his father and Don Pritzi look on, and secondly, as an adult being made by the Pritzi family, swearing an oath to protect Pritzi's honor. My immediate reaction <laughs> yeah, the- to these scenes... And the wedding that came next was, I bet this film doesn't warrant its two-hour-plus runtime. <laughs> they get this made in 90 to 100 minutes these days. <laughs> dead right. Absolutely dead right. I would have, And I also, I, I got a bad feeling instantly when they said Pritzi's Honor. Uh, I, I, like as the, and I was kind of thinking, immediately on those scenes and what happens in those scenes, which is nothing, I was thinking... There's no way they successfully loop around that title to make it mean anything. That's what was my thought, no, to be I'm, honest. It was like a kind of family guy. <laughs> he said the name of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. I, uh, anyway. At the wedding, which is a pretty family wedding for characters we will never care about or even know who they are. Mm-hmm. We're introduced to all the main players in the story. We have Don Pritzi, an old man falling asleep in the church pew. May Rose Pritzi, a woman in her early 30s who's been disowned by her father, seemingly due to being labeled a hua. Is that accurate? Yes. That's what I picked up. We've got Nicholson's uh, Charlie Partana, the Pritzi family's go-to hitman, who seems like a bit of a bumbling oaf slash wise guy caricature. And we've got Kathleen Turner's Irene, who Charlie sees on the upper balcony of the church and is immediately infatuated with for some reason. Yeah, he just wants to shag her. Basically, it's not really play. conveyed like successfully at all no. that he's that he's supposed to be stupid. I don't know what where that's supposed to come from. Maybe it's the accent or whatever. The accent, I guess, he does a lot of the kind of like use guys. But I'm thinking, like, just in hindsight, like, and this applies to the whole film. But just in hindsight, by this point, I think intervals, and I have them written down here actually: ten, sixteen. Uh, 25 and 35 and then i just gave up i wrote down beside those timings i have no idea where we're going with this um (laughs) i have zero idea where we're going and the reason is like okay so if you just have 
him spotting Irene and kind of make it about that, then fine. But what they seem to do is, you know, when like when screenwriters write screenplays, they have separate descriptions of the characters that they might not necessarily include in the script. It's like those right. are in this script. And it's it's so yeah. weird because the film is like immaculately composed, truly, like every like everything is just framed up so nicely. And but there's just this incoherent mess happening, and it just yeah it begins from where you started and continues. I'll t- I'll tell you the point where I think it breaks down when we get to it. But at the wedding reception, Charlie stalks Irene and dances with her before she quickly rushes off. He also has a brief chat with May Rose, where it's revealed that they used to be in a relationship, one in which Charlie may not have treated her so well. Go practice your meatballs. After the wedding, Charlie employs a bit of sleuthing to track down Irene. It turns out she lives in California and flew in for the wedding. It's also revealed that during the wedding, a pretty rival was assassinated by an outside hitman or hit woman called in by the family. Indeed, yeah. On the phone, on the phone with Irene, Charlie agrees to meet her the following day in Vegas. Houston inserts the same short scene of a plane flying to indicate the character's changing location. A lot. Which, yeah, every single time someone flew somewhere, you see the same little shot of a plane going either left across the screen to California or right across the screen to New York. It reminded me of, have you ever seen the film Stagecoach? No, there's a, a like a bunch of Indians are attacking um the stagecoach, and you know, John Wayne is leaning out shooting them, and you see like the uh, same Indian you know flop back off a horse about twenty times during the gunfight, and uh, yeah, yeah, was, that plane is doing an awful lot of heavy lifting in in uh, in this film. Yeah, I think it's amazing how the characters are able to get commercial flights across the country with almost zero notice. Oh yeah, I guess that, that, that does raise pre- another, another question. When is this set? Is this set in 1985? I I think so. Yeah. Okay. It it looks impossibly old as well, mm. but it it was 1985. Okay, here's where I think the the this is where the film falls apart for me because the following scene confused me no end. Charlie and Irene on what appears to be the same day of this first date as they're wearing the same clothes, but now they're outside at this restaurant. They confess their love for each other. Yes. What the fuck? Are we supposed to read this as like Charlie just wants to bang her and Irene is playing him? Um, is that how you're supposed to go go back and read it? It still just doesn't work for me at well, all. Well, it, it, like it feels like, a, yeah, it feel, it's got the tone of a Mel Brooks film, but there's no gags. Like that, there's no way that that is serious, but... There's no gag mm. there. So the tone is leading you one place, and then you get that uh, rolling around sex scene, which uh, I've never. Oh God! I've never made love while rolling. I d- I don't know why they include that no. in films. It turns out the pretty casino operation in Vegas is getting scammed. The details of which made almost no impression on me. No. Nope. By a guy named Marxy Heller. Charlie is tasked with paying Marxy a visit in order to whack him, which he does. Immediately afterwards, Marxy's wife arrives home, and it's revealed to be none other than Irene. She claims to know nothing about the casino scam and gives up the location of money that she believes Marxy stole. Charlie goes back to New York satisfied enough with her explanation. So it's setting up. It's it's a farce essentially. That's what we're that's what we're building here. But it's just not interesting enough, captivating enough. None of the the details matter. Like yeah. in order to be a successful farce, like mm-hmm. What's Up Doc or um, something else, till I think I can think, His Girl Friday, for example, also known as Screwballs, is yeah, they've got a lot of pace going on, you know, and you know, it, it's just there's just silly tension being raised and released all the time. There's z- there's no tension in this. It's so bloated, full of plot. And characters, and we have to remember things. Like, we haven't even gotten to the fucking uh, kidnapping plot yet. No, we'll get there. So back home, Charlie shows a photo of his new lady Irene to his daddy, who reveals that Irene was the out-of-town hitter they hired to do the job on the guy with a thing that we don't care about. (laughs) Aptly named. Right. 
talk me, please. I, I wanted to ask you to talk me through the character motivation of the next scene. So okay. Charlie goes round to see May Rose, a woman who clearly pines after him. Mm. He shags her while also laying out the entirety of his personal business regarding Irene, including impl- implicating her in ripping off the Pritzies, of which May Rose is one. I like. What the fuck, Charlie? Is he just a thick cunt, or is he actually malicious? I don't know, but uh, like I don't like I don't know why that's there. It doesn't make any sense. I think it's there to sell the ending, but uh, and also all the the gears of of what is going on, like it puts into place May Rose acting against Charlie and Irene. Yeah, that's because uh, oh, that, she's such yeah. a pathetic. It's so weird because she's equally a pathetic character, but then she is also going out on her own to manipulate her family to get some kind of vengeance it's uh, so strange and she does a wit like she won an oscar for this she's doing this kind of bella lugosi thing or something i don't know what she's doing it's weird though yeah that scene me also just completely baffled me uh, because it doesn't really lead it doesn't do anything to the plot except what you said the uh, maybe set up the ending but Charlie flies back to L.A. so that Irene and him can pop down to Mexico to get married before they head back to New York together. The next little pritzy family caper involves kidnapping a guy to claim insurance money or something. Again, are, are we it? even supposed to care about the details? I don't know. I, d- like, I, d- I don't get how this got made. I, it would be interesting to, I mean, uh, Richard Condon, who wrote the novel, is probably most famous for having written the Manchurian, Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. So he has at least some pedigree, but I would be interested to see whether, I'm not interested enough to actually read it, but I'd be interested to see if there's a bit more depth to, uh, to the novel. So while Charlie is planning how to grab this target, Falargi, who they plan to kidnap, Irene offers her services to lend a helping hand. They concoct a ridiculous scheme involving a plastic baby. The plan is going well until a lady steps out of the lift and interrupts the kidnapping. Irene does not hesitate and executes her. However, it turns out she's only gone and killed a police captain's wife. Uh Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. At the same time... May Rose is sneakily manipulating both her father and the Dawn in order to bring retribution against Charlie and Irene. As an aside, I liked Angelica Houston in these scenes, but it's just so lightweight. I, I, to win a Best Supporting Actress Oscar yeah, is mad. I mean, I'm looking at the nominations here. I mean, it was just a big circle jerk back then, wasn't it? May Rose's father, Dominic Pritzi, incensed by Charlie's treatment of his daughter, puts a hit out on him. He hires the only out-of-town hitter the family seems to know, which is Irene. Dom Pritzi calls Irene in for a sit-down and tells her that he knows she stole half the Vegas money. She's ordered to pay it back with interest in five days or face the consequences, blah, blah, blah. Mm. As Dominic prepares to retire to Vegas, he's whacked in the street by another family who he previously insulted. The Don is adamant that the Pritzi family needs Charlie to carry on their legacy. They bring Charlie in and offer to make him boss on the condition that he gives up Irene. Charlie flies out to L.A. to see his wife as they prepare to go to bed with each other. Both ready weapons, Irene a gun, Charlie a knife. In what I would say is a poorly staged denouement, Irene misses with her gunshot as Charlie throws a knife into her throat, pinning her to the wall. Charlie flies home and basically declares his love for May Rose the end. Yeah. That's it. That ending is... is unorthodox let's yeah, say. yeah 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 out of the blue I'm, I'm guessing again i feel like that would work a lot better in the in the novel well what i reckon is it, it mightn't have been something that i would have enjoyed but there was definitely something here that you could have made work if you had just written a tighter fucking screenplay and cast the right people like if you just put somebody like because the, here's the thing is uh, jack nicholson is bear with me on this i'm sure you'll agree Jack Nicholson is funny, but not good at comedy. Yeah, I think it's, there's been a few performances, although I do remember saying that there's no one less funny than Al Pacino, but Mm. could Al Pacino do, can he be funny? But yeah, I, I guess like Nicholson can play funny characters. Like he's funny in As Good As It Gets. Yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind. But he's not really, it's not comedy 
It's just Nicholson's funny. His kind, it's like, it's, he's funny the way Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter is funny. He is. He's funny. You know what I mean? It's not gags. Right. I, Kathleen Turner can make, is, is a comic actor. She's all right in it, I suppose, and Angelica Houston. But the film is leaning heavily on Nicholson, and it's just it's just not his. Sco- and it, it like what you mentioned, what Scarecrow? You meant yeah, yeah. Scarecrow is a very apt yeah. comparison here because it's it's somebody trying comedy, and it's like no, you're you're not you're not good at that. You shouldn't do that. And yeah, just if they, I don't know, cut off all the extra flab. Either make it about the fucking casino thing or about the kidnapping for example pick one don't do both i can't i can't remember some of the names that were um that were put forward for charlie partano one of them was tom hanks would have been which that would have yeah that would have worked yeah 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 because that's the thing as well you need somebody who's goofy enough that it doesn't matter that they're doing that silly accent you know uh or maybe they wouldn't even have had to do the accent if they were going to be silly about it bill murray would have been somebody who could have done this, you know? But then mm-hmm. you'd have to, like, because the thing is, as well, actually, there are an awful lot of elements of farce in it. It doesn't have many gags. Michael Keaton would have been great. And then, like I said earlier, there's, there's just this odd... It isn't a film of, it's not, I don't think it's aiming to, to be funny. It is just farcical. There's a, the only thing that I can think of, like, really resembling a physical gag, which is absolutely awful, is when Nicholson is trying to he's fucking around with the cord of a telephone he's like he has like a moment there's like a kind of almost like physical physical comedy gag not even it's just seeing someone not being able to use a telephone properly but it is sold for a second as like oh i can't even remember that i mean it's it's absolutely throwaway well this is like okay so the oddest thing about the (laughs) there are films that uh I hate that I I would watch again before this because this, it really kind of, I don't know, it reminded me of, there's a roundabout comparison, but if you ever go to Rotterdam, there are these uh, buildings that look like they could be 3D, but they're actually not 3D as you get closer to them. And it has the effect, or at least it did on me, of making me feel slightly nauseous. And with this, like, it is composed so fucking well like shot really really nicely in a beautiful like golden age of hollywood style but then everything else is such a gigantic mess you'd almost have liked like it would have almost worked better at least it wouldn't have given me that sense of cognitive dissonance if like bob saget had directed it yeah because he directed dirty work the norm movie um yeah it really (laughs) i'm basically saying it made me feel ill because i just couldn't wrap my head around what it was i I can understand that. I think it's just something about it felt so 80s. Just it was it was it's in this bad place in the mid 80s that I just want to I want to leave be. I feel like if you go a little bit further back, obviously there are good films in the 80s, but like stylistically and where tech was, Mm. some things like things made in the 70s, I think, have survived better than a lot of things made in the 80s. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, there are. I don't think I have very much to. I don't think I have very much to say about no, this. No, I don't have much about either. this film. It, I, I'm never going to watch it. And I guess because I watched this first, and I, I obviously John Huston is an amazingly celebrated filmmaker, and mm. I read a lot about the kind of theory behind his films. He often has uh, a, a group of characters who are bonded together and are fighting against. Uh, circumstance overwhelming circumstances or they have like a couple that are it's a couple kind of star-crossed lovers against the world type uh situations and that all sounds far more interesting than whatever this is well look i'll tell you what i could like there are he's got some films that are just genuinely like masterpieces the treasure of sierra madre is a masterpiece fat city to me is a masterpiece and it's one of his less famous ones the dead is a masterpiece i don't know i mean when you're as prolific as like he he's nearly in his life he was nearly as prolific as fucking woody allen like he made a lot of movies and acted in a lot of movies he was bound to produce some duds um uh you know and this definitely happens to be one of them the end the fucking end oi what are you bringing Who's to the table? The coin? I don't it's remember. It's me. 
So after being tasked with picking a sequel, I went out and looked for the highest rated sequels of all time. And I chose one that you have already seen Aww. and definitely enjoyed. Can you guess what it is? It's one of the, I think it on Rotten Tomatoes, Tomatoes, it is one of the the highest rated films ever. I think there was a period where it had no no negative reviews. It was 100% fresh for a long time. I don't know if it still is. Is it Godfather Part 2? No, of course. I've seen that. It's, uh, it's a film which is no doubt far superior to Godfather Part 2, and that's Paddington 2. Oh! Oh, f- oh I hope you win. <laughs> oh. I haven't seen it. Have you, and you haven't seen the first one either? No, so I would be putting myself in a position where I would watch both of them. Oh, because I'm case. definitely going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow! I'm not. I'm not going to watch Paddington two before I've seen Paddington one. That would be mental, or I have to treat number one like it's a flashback or something. Oh god! Okay, make Andy win. Make Andy win. Okay. Wait, so... wait. Tell me yours first. Yeah, yeah. I will. I will. I will. Okay. So if I win this week, I will not only um, make it up to you on not giving you the straightforward horror you were after, but I will also send us to the cinema with The Conjuring three. The Devil Made Me Do It. <laughs> okay i've seen the first conjuring the, the the and that's it second one's good too but i you don't really need to see it to connect the dots no i would wait is it which one is the second one it's in uh the Enf- london the, or yeah it's the, in england the, uh, yeah the enfield haunting yeah, I'll yeah. Watch i'm that. a, I'll I'm a watch big fan of the first two will. of the first two films um i like the first one and uh i've i watched one of the annabelle things that had um i haven't seen the i saw the nun it was a big bunch of shit patrick is it patrick wilson patrick wilson yeah. his name and vera farmiga and vera farmiga yeah mm-hmm. okay well um Let's see. I mean, I'd rather see either of the things this week. I'll uh, no complaints from me either way. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind. Um, so we've got a temple and a ten. Are you are you feeling are you feeling any one way? Do you think poker do you think face? One of these sides is going to be better than the other. Poker face. I'll go. I'll go temple. Okay. It is the temple. Thank fuck. <laughs> Paddington 2 <laughs> is on the menu. Yes. 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 Oh, I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> Sincerely. And um, Yeah, I genuinely want to watch those films. Yeah, yeah, no, no, they're they're great and I'm looking forward to chatting about them. Honestly, they're quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll be good and I think they're they're both quite short and everything. Uh, they make me cry. I want to see do you, do you cry? I know now well, why I you don't, cry. I don't want pressure. I don't want pressure on me. No. I just want to react to it in the moment. All we'll right. See. Well, until then, God bless you. Um, and a safe flight. God bless all of us. Indeed. Um, Each and every one. Except John Houston. May he be burning in hell. That's probably not fair. I thought he was a friend of the show. Oh, he is a friend of the show. Everyone dead is a friend of the show. He's a good friend of the show. Friend of the show, Benito Mussolini. Bye. Bye. We were in such a rush to leave Forgot to mention the criteria For next week's show we need to watch a film That Roger Ebert gave four stars Hopefully that'll be Weekend at Bernie's too That's the film that we all want to watch Friend of the show Roger Ebert He's the man who we are